Welcome to the Imago Day Community Podcast. Hey, Imago Day. It's great to be with you. My name is Alex. I am the executive pastor at the church, and it's great to worship with you uh, online. For the last few weeks, we've been looking at the life of Joseph. And one aspect of his life that really stands out to me as I was studying this passage and uh, studying that part of Genesis uh, to just share sermons with the church, I was really struck by how everywhere he went, at every stage of his life, he was a blessing to the people around him. And this really echoes kind of the call of God on Israel in Jeremiah chapter 29, where they're being exiled to Babylon. And in that exile, God says, even though these people, you kind of consider them your enemies, he says, pray for, bless, uh, build homes, build a life in Babylon, pray for, seek the good of that city, for if Babylon prospers, so will you prosper as well. And I want to use that, uh, you know, I'll be speaking the next two weeks uh, on this idea, not from Genesis, but that idea of Joseph's life, we're going to use as a launching pad for the next two weeks to look at uh, the dynamics and the, of the call that God places on us individually to love Portland, but also collectively as a church to love our city, to pray for its prosperity, to pray for its blessing and growth. Um, and so we're going to look at Luke this week, Luke chapter 5, verses 12 to 16, where Jesus heals a leper. It's one of my favorite uh, healing stories, and I'll get to share with you why it's one of my favorite. But this is the reading of God's Word. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Growing up, um, like many of you, I didn't have the best relationship with my dad. But there was this moment, I, I can't call it, inst well, it's as close to instantaneous healing, but I know that it was a journey. But there was this one moment that was a, a very significant step in a healing uh, in my relationship with my dad. And that was, uh, we were at his house one year. I was doing work in his office. In his office, there was uh, kind of these windows and doors that uh, I could see through outside to the backyard where he was playing with my five kids. And if you know anything about little kids, you, you pick them up or you make a sound or you do something that they like and they ask you to do it over and over and over again. And he had five kids hanging on him. He was quacking like a duck. He was making noises. He was lifting them up and doing it over and over and over again. And in that moment, I just kind of heard this thing. And the thing that I heard was, I want you to look at that because that is a picture of what your dad would do with you if he could do it all over again. 
And it was a it was a very transformative experience for me because in that moment, somehow God gave me the ability to place myself uh, in that little that little story. And that's going to be something I'm going to ask. Maybe you even have to pause this video for a moment to pray and ask that God would give you that that experience with this passage, that God would enable you to see his grace, his hand, his love, his mercy, that you could see yourself as a leper in this uh, narrative. Because without that experience, uh, we really miss out on a tremendous blessing that God has in store for those who read this passage. I shared with you earlier that this story is my favorite of all the healing narratives of Jesus. And it's because of all his healings, this one for me, uh, there's so many uh, there's so many layers and dimensions to what he does for this leper. And when I study this passage, there's uh, at least four layers or dimensions that I see. There's a physical, a spiritual, social, and emotional healing that he offers this leper. The physical is the one that I'm going to spend the least amount of time on, but it should not be dismissed. Um, this man had leprosy. Most likely, it wasn't like the flesh-eating bacteria that we have come to know leprosy to be in the modern world. Um, in, in the in the in the in Jesus' time and in the Old Testament times, leprosy referred to a actually a very wide range of skin conditions, and um, it, it and most likely he had this thing called Hansen's disease, where it was just a very severe uh, skin condition. Uh, nevertheless, that skin condition had a tremendous amount of implications on his life that Jesus is going to work through step by step in every part of who this person is. And the physical dimension is clear. Jesus healed him and the leprosy was gone. The skin condition was gone. And I, I don't want us to take that lightly, though I don't, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. I don't want us to take that lightly because Jesus who healed this leopard is still a God who heals today. And as we live in the world that we do, in this pandemic, and, and all the other things that go on in the physical world, I hope that we would pause and take a moment and to see ourselves in this story, to see the world in this story, and know that when Jesus heals this leper physically, that he is revealing his heart, he is sharing his power, and he's showing what his desire is uh, and he doesn't always do it in every moment, but uh, the heart is always there. And so we still pray, we still long. Uh, and so if you have people in your lives or you yourself are in need of healing, uh, we ask that you would just consider praying and offering that to Jesus. But the physical condition is only one of the layers of healing. The other one is a, there's a spiritual dimension. And in order to understand this, you have to go back to the Old Testament, particularly in the book of Leviticus, where we're told about um, the fact that there were kind of, there were ceremonial laws. And if you were ceremonially unclean, there were certain aspects of religious life that you could not participate in. And one of, one of the factors was actually leprosy. If you had leprosy, then you couldn't join or enter uh, the camp, as it were, where the people of God came together and worshiped. 
those of you who have uh, not been able to worship in person, and some of you have experienced the spiritual toll that that has taken, you can identify with what the leper experienced, that there's basically sickness that prohibits uh, people to gather. And this, this Old Testament understanding of ceremonial law is really in play when Jesus heals this leper. Because notice the leper doesn't say, heal me. He says, if you can make me clean, because as much as the leper wanted to be physically healed, he was after something greater, and his request reveals that. We see an example of this in Acts chapter 3, where the apostles Peter and John go to temple. They were going to go hang out with the people of God and, and probably worship. Um, but as they go, they're at the gate, at the front of the temple, there's a lame man. And the lame man is begging for money. And Peter famously says to that, that lame man, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I'll give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up, rise up and walk. And there's actually a really kind of cute, cheesy, corny song that was made about this story for kids. And it really emphasizes he was jumping and leaping and praising God when he got healed. Now, the way that story works out in my mind is that he asked for money, but really wants to be healed. And Peter says, I can't give you money because that's why I don't have, I'm a, I'm a pretty poor guy now ever since following Jesus. And, but what I can give you is I can heal you in the name of Jesus. He says, rise up, rise up and walk. Now, if I had been lame or crippled from birth, uh, I would have I thought, my thinking is I would have immediately jumped and leaped and praised God, but that's not what the lame man does. In uh, Acts chapter 3, he goes into the temple first after he's healed, then he jumps and leaps and praises God. Why? Because for as long as he was crippled, which was his entire life, he wasn't able to go inside the temple and to give his offerings and to worship with the people of God and to enter a space that um, the people then believed that there was a special presence of God, not just a general omnipresence of God, but a special presence of God. And so when he gets healed, he gets to go in and that's where he begins to celebrate because what he's really after is what Peter is able to offer him. And this is something that uh, Jesus does for the leper. He doesn't just give him a physical healing. He also heals him spiritually because now he can go and to the priest, he can go with the people of God and enjoy that spiritual community that all of us needs if we're going to grow and um, in our understanding of God's love for us. The third dynamic requires not necessarily an Old Testament knowledge, although it's Old Testament knowledge plus historical context. Remember, uh, I've mentioned this a few times that the Bible was written in uh, an honor-shame culture. And often if you were born with certain conditions or if you were, you know, if you were crippled or if you were blind or if you were deaf, um, there was great stigma uh, with people who, who had those conditions. And they would face a tremendous amount of uh, being ostracized. And uh, and one thing I'll tell you, I, I shared with you guys, I've, I have hearing issues and I have my own conditions, my physical issues. And 
I can tell you from experience, there's two types, uh, two ways that we are ostracized. One is when you are ostracized by people who shun you because of a, a condition that you have. In some sense, the ancient world view that the honor shame, there was tremendous shame with being deaf or being lame or having leprosy because it was almost seen as you are cursed by God. There was this idea that this very close association with physical well-being, with riches um, and, and money, that if you're blessed by God, then you'll have all these great and amazing things. And if you don't have these things, then you're not blessed by God. And so people would avoid you at all costs. But there's also a sense of being ostracized that you do to yourself when you have physical issues. You guys know I'm, I'm hearing impaired, and so uh, I would get I would get very anxious when we had staff meetings in person. We would sit six feet apart uh, uh, and, and across the whole room, and I. I got to tell you, there was so many meetings where I didn't hear a single thing that was being spoken. And when I would go to different restaurants to pick up takeout and there'll be a plexiglass and the person speaking to me was in a mask, it would create a tremendous amount of anxiety. And so I would stay home as much as possible. And so um, that's what it was probably like for the leper or anyone in that, that society who had a condition that had that wasn't just physical it wasn't just uh spiritual in implication there were going to be social ramifications and jesus restored this man's ability to have relationships that he couldn't have while having leprosy the fourth dimension and this one you really have to read between you got to really dig deep and pay attention because it's not there on the surface is I believe Jesus healed this man uh, emotionally as well. When we read the story, Jesus touches the leper, reaches out his hand, touches him, and that seems really normal. But if you go back and you read the Gospels, it's actually pretty rare that Jesus touches somebody to heal them. You go back, uh, in fact, if you look before this passage in Luke, chapters 1 through 4, or if you look immediately after, by and large, Jesus heals people with the power of his word. He tells the person who is afflicted by demons, uh, get out. He tells the lame man, pick up your mat and walk. He tells the man with a shriveled hand, stretch out your hand, and the man's hand is immediately healed. Jesus uh, uh, rebukes fevers, we're told. He calms storms by the power of his voice, but in this case, he touches the man. And I think the reason why there, I think there are two reasons why Jesus touches the leper. The first one is this. Remember the ceremonial law that you're unclean if you have certain conditions that prohibited you to be engaged in certain aspects of Israel's worship. Well, there's another part of the law that if you touch anybody that is ceremonially unclean, you become unclean yourself. And Jesus was being very intentional. The same word for savior is the word for healer. And so what Jesus is doing is he's saying, the way that I heal you is the way that I'm going to save you. And the way that I save you is the way that I will heal you. And so he touches him and he makes himself unclean. So Jesus is giving us a, a prophetic vision. He's giving us a window into how he's not going to just heal people, but ultimately how he's going to save us. 
that he is going to become one without sin, will become sin, right? He will take the sins of the world upon himself and become a sacrifice to God on behalf of all of us. And so there we have Jesus touching. I think that's one of the reasons why. I think the other reason why is because humans need touch. And for as long as this man had leprosy, he never experienced touch. No hug, no handshake, no pat on the back. Why? Because in the Old Testament law, if you had leprosy, you were instructed, you had to be disheveled, you had to cover your head, and then you had to cover your mouth, sorry, you had to wear kind of rags. And anytime you entered into a public space, you would cover your mouth and you would yell, unclean, unclean, so that nobody would accidentally bump into you while they're looking at their Instagram walking on the street. Because you bumping into someone would make them ceremony unclean. And so this man never experienced touch. When I was... Uh, when, you know, we have five kids and when my kids were really young, I picked up this book by James Dobson. Not the biggest fan of him anymore, but back then I, I was just looking for help on how to raise kids. And he shares a story in one of his books that I thought was interesting. In the 13th century, Frederick II conducted an experiment. He wanted to see what language babies would speak if they were never spoken to. And so he got 50 babies for this experiment. He hired 50 nurses to care for each baby. And he gave very specific instructions. You feed the baby. You can clean the baby after uh, they go to the bathroom. Um, but beyond that, you are not to touch the baby. And you are definitely not to speak to the baby. Well, that experiment failed miserably because uh, all 50 babies died from a condition called marasmus. What later we learn through medicine and technology is that for as strong as we are as humans and as incredibly and fearfully and wonderfully made we are, we are so fragile in our souls that you could be fed, your vital organs could be healthy. But if we are not touched as children in a way that it, where there's a physical expression of love to a child, the, the child will die. And so I, I think I think when Jesus touched this man, he healed him physically, he healed him spiritually, he healed him socially, and he also heals him emotionally. And the extension that this I think this has is there we cannot bless our city like Joseph blessed Egypt, like Joseph blessed Potiphar's home, unless we understand what Imago has been doing for 21 years, which is to preach the whole gospel. And notice what the next line is in our vision. It is, it is to the whole person. Jesus doesn't just care about your church attendance. He does. He doesn't just care about your Bible reading and your prayer life, which he does. He doesn't just care about those things exclusively. Imago is a ministry that has faithfully taking the scriptures, seeing the heart of Christ, and realizes that God cares about the soul, but he also cares about the body. He cares about spiritual food, but he also cares about real, tangible food. He cares about the, the spiritual clothes of being covered in the white robes that Jesus offers people as a symbolism of his uh, um, forgiveness and his kindness. But he also cares about real clothes for those who don't have clothes. 
And so in some sense, I'm sharing this message with a community that has been doing this faithfully for 21 years, and I'm in some sense preaching to the choir. Um, but I want to pause because no matter how much we have been, as a church, we've been faithful in this, there has been a disruption. For 18 months, many of our ministries that Imago has been known for for 21 years, simply because of the pandemic, we have had to put a pause on many of the areas where we have been able to reach to the whole person, to the social dynamics of a person, to the some of the spiritual dynamics of a person. And so I want us to just pause and remember that call. I was talking to a church member who had been serving homeless people for, for years and years and years, but for 18 months couldn't because of this pandemic. And this church member shared with me that in the short 18-month span that he noticed his heart towards the homeless actually changed. And that's not, I love, I love, I love that, I love the honesty of that. That our hearts are such that when we don't set grace before us uh, and, and we don't have that space to walk in and express that love that is deep within, attitudes and hearts can change rather quickly. And so for us, we can't just stand on 21 years of past ministry. We do have to pause and things have paused and we have to reflect on that and then recommit ourselves as we see the world slowly reopening as the, as the pandemic um, on the one hand is kind of being contained. I know there are variants, but we are also uh, um, far, we actually have advanced uh, a tremendous amount uh, in, in managing and containing this pandemic. And so one of the things I want to first say, though, is that before we can love the city with the gospel, we have to apply the gospel to ourselves. We have to receive that healing. We have to receive that love. My wife was just telling me the other day an observation that she had about me, but it's really a human observation, but she wanted to encourage me and, and challenge me in saying, Alex, whenever you are judgmental of others, you also, it's always a season where you're judgmental of yourself. And whenever you're hard on yourself, you're always hard on other people. And so we need to look at all four of these categories, our physical needs, our spiritual needs, our social needs, and our emotional needs, because this, we are in a season where all four dimensions, uh, a lot of needs have surfaced for not only us, but for our, our entire church, our city, and the entire world. And so what I want to ask is that you pay attention to all four areas of your life. Be very mindful of your physical needs, social needs, and your emotional needs. Pay attention. Write down the things that you observe, the things that you see, the things that you notice in each and one of these areas. I, I think it's going to be incredibly important because if we can't apply the gospel, the kindness of Jesus to us every step of this season, then we are not going to be able to extend the kindness of Jesus to others. It just won't happen. We can only love others as we love ourselves with the love of Christ. So not just love yourself, we love ourselves with the love of Christ. And then we can offer people the grace that Jesus offers. But, you know, I, I say this almost, you're going to hear me say this almost every time I speak. 
that you and I, as much as we need grace, we also have a deep aversion to it. Because deep down inside, we want to we wanna earn what we have. We want to know that we deserve what we have. And so this idea of unmerited or demerited favor, where we get things that we don't deserve, but simply because God's kindness and grace is extended to us, it rubs us the wrong way. There are seasons where we need it and want it, but there's also seasons where we will actually push it aside. I remember I was talking to two friends who got married, and uh, I remember I asked a guy this question, which you should never ask a man. You never ask this question in front of his fiance or his, his, or his wife. I said, why do you want it? When he got engaged, I asked, why do you want to marry her in front of her? And he just paused because it was such a big and loaded question. And the longer he waited, I noticed that his fiance was getting noticeably angry. Now, you need to know something about this couple. When he asked her out, the first time he asked her out on a date, um, she said, I don't marry stupid, I don't date stupid people, uh, so I need to know your credentials. And he said, uh, well, that's good, because I, I graduated from Stanford, and I went to Harvard Law School. And she was like, cool, cool. I, I mean, but I, how do I know you're not a trust fund baby? So back when Barnes & Nobles existed in brick and mortar, she, they went to Barnes & Nobles, they bought a Barron's SAT book, and she made him take the SAT right there and wanted to see his score before she went on a date with him. Well, the guy went to Stanford and Harvard Law, so he did pretty well. He got like 1580 on the practice test at a 1600. So that got him five dates, which was just enough to win her heart. Later on, a year or two years later, they get engaged and they get married. Now, so that's the context for this relationship. Now, as he's pausing, he finally says, Alex, I can't even give you a list of reasons because it's not even about the reasons anymore. The reason why I'm marrying her is um, because whenever I look into the future, I can't even imagine happiness without her. Friends, I, I mean, <laughs> that was so good to me. I was typing because I was like, I'm going to seal that. I'm going to use that on my wife. I'm going to uh, put that on my Valentine's card that's coming up. And but she was even more angry when he said that. And I looked at her and I almost said like, what's your problem? Like, why are you so angry? And then all of a sudden it hit me and before she could answer, I said, can you give me a shot? I think I know why you're upset. And she said, sure, go for it. And I said, you actually wanted to hear that uh, he's marrying you because you're the most beautiful woman. And she said, that's right. That you're the smartest woman he's ever met. That's right. That you are the kindest, the most gentle and creative. You, you wanted him to list all the attributes he loves about you. And she said, is that too much to ask? You know, what's funny is when he gave his answer, while I was typing and loving the answer, she shook her head and actually said, unsatisfactory. Guys, you guys remember in elementary school when we didn't get we didn't get the ABC grades? We got the O's and the U's and the N's. He got a U. He didn't even get a, a, a C or a D. He got a U, an unsatisfactory grade. And I, I actually kind of exhorted her in that moment. And I said, here's the problem with why you're angry. The issue that I see with that is 
There isn't a married couple in this world that won't tell you that you are not always going to feel as beautiful as you are. You are not always going to be kind. You're not going to always be rational. You're not going to always be creative. You're not going to always be diligent. If his love is anchored in all those things you are and do, when those moments come, and if you ever have a long season where one of those attributes is gone, then, then so will his love be gone. Although you want to be loved and admired for the attributes you have, uh, what you need and what I need and what everybody in this world needs is actually a love that will love us even when those things are gone, for better and for worse. And so we have to confront our aversion. That woman's aversion to grace is our aversion to grace. It's my aversion to grace. It's your aversion to grace because we constantly default to a meritocracy, this idea of a reward system. And so this is why it's important for us to pause because what Jesus tells us in this story is that I'm going to offer you a grace that is going to heal the whole of who you are. And if you let me heal you through you, I'm going to heal the whole of other people. Just like Joseph was a blessing wherever he went, at my church, in my church, if they would simply uh, uh, surrender and receive my grace, then you're going to be an agent of change and healing in dark and desperate places. And the reason why I, I want to say why we need to trust Jesus is because Jesus, more than anyone else in this world, he holds our pain. I want to explain that word hold. I've been seeing a therapist for several years now. And I'll never forget this one session where I shared a traumatic story from my childhood and my therapist paused and she closed her eyes and she she said Alex I want to pause right now and I want to I'm just going to hold what you said <laughs> I mean I I never heard anyone use that language before and I and I'm, if I'm being totally honest I was very uncomfortable I, I I just thank you for holding it I didn't I didn't know what she was talking about until I did after that session, I'm kind of confused, kind of uncomfortable. And I start living my life because, you know, any of you who've had a traumatic experience, when you share it once, it actually empowers you to share it with others and more people. And that's what I did. I started sharing that story with other people. And what I noticed is that, and I shared them with people that love me, that I trust. But And, and it's to no fault of anyone. The reality is, is that I quickly learned there's a limitation to people holding your suffering and pain. Because they have jobs. They have their own pain and suffering that needs to be held. We are busy. We have kids. We have work. We have, we have relationships. We have uh, 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 ministries that we're a part of. And, and so it's hard for people to hold. And when I saw my friends sometimes release my, my hurt, I then began to realize what my therapist was doing. She is professionally trained. And she is trained and called to hold people's pain. And what she was saying in that moment, friends, is that, you know what? I'm not going to text anybody after the session. I'm not going to go and watch Netflix. I'm just going to sit. I'm just going to sit with your pain for a moment. 
And what I love about Jesus and what I love about the healing of the leper is that, remember, the foreshadowing of the touch, that the sins of the world would be heaped upon him. Notice what Jesus is saying, is that I am going to hold the deepest wounds. I'm going to hold the darkest of sins. And notice what he does. I'm going to hold it even when it costs me everything. Friends, we have people who will hold our pain. We have people who will hold our suffering, but they will not hold it all the time and certainly won't hold it when it costs them everything. But Jesus holds it even to the point of death, death on a cross. And he obediently follows the Father and becomes that sacrifice on our behalf and then is resurrected from the dead. And so what I love about Jesus is that he not only holds it like a great and true therapist, but he then also stretches out his hand and he offers his grace. And this is a grace that comes to us new every morning, every day, every moment of our life. He offers us grace and healing and redemption for any and every aspect of our life, financial, emotional, relational, every dimension of our being, Jesus wants to offer his grace because that's who he is. And so friends, the thing that I want to simply do in ask is we are a church called to continue the work that Imago has been doing. Is to simply once again, through this passage, offer our lives again to surrender and utter those words, if you will, if you will, you can make me clean. You can make me physically whole. You can make me socially uh, uh, restored. You can restore every aspect of who I am. And to offer ourselves, to offer our pain, to offer our hurts, to offer our needs to Jesus but also, friends, to receive his grace. And I want to emphasize this because until we receive it, we won't be able to show it and share it with the world because, as many have probably said uh, at Imago, hurting people hurt. But those who are healed can be wounded healers in the lives of others. May we seek the prosperity of, of Portland. May we Pray for the prosperity of Portland, not just the spiritual aspect of our city, but all four dimensions of our city as we do it within ourselves. Because friends, the deeper work that we do in our inner life, the wider the range of our compassion. And the more limited we are in, the, our, in our willingness to go and drill down on our needs, so do we narrow the scope of our compassion and love for our city.